All right. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 to 20. <clears throat> Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. So we will not be afraid, though the earth should quake. Though the waters of sea of the sea rage and foam. There is a river, its streams make glad the city of God. God is within her, she cannot be shaken. God will help her at the break of death. Nations are in tumult, kingdoms are shaken. But God has spoken and the earth melts away. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come and see what the Lord has done. The devastation brought upon the earth. The Lord makes wars to cease in all the world. The Lord breaks the bow and snaps the spear and burns the shields in the fire. Be still then and know that I am God. High over the nations, high above the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forever. Amen. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. Praise and glory to God. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be, sorry, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the Gospel of Christ. Praise, Praise to Christ, Christ the Word. My name is Rebecca, those of you who don't know me. And we're continuing this morning with a series called Something Along the Lines of the Seven Habits of Somewhat Effective, Highly Defective Christians, looking at traditional Lenten disciplines of prayer, fasting, giving, expanding to forgiveness, study and faith sharing. And our theme today, Abiding, focuses on prayer and calls us to dwell in Christ and to see God's presence everywhere. I should start by confessing this is an invitation I need to hear as much as anybody else and to take this up today. Um, I don't know about you, but I found it quite a slow start to Lent for me and my attentiveness to the season has been patchy at best. But delivering a sermon, as always, provides a well-timed impetus to open my mind and heart afresh to what God might be up to. And I invite you this morning to do the same. So how do we locate ourselves within this season? We're rapidly heading to the halfway point of Lent. At this time in the church calendar, we remember Jesus being sent out into the wilderness by the Spirit for 40 days to be tested by the devil before starting his ministry. It's wild. And as people familiar with the Bible, we understand the resonance too with the exile of Israelites in the Old Testament and the 40 years they spent wandering in the wilderness before they reach the promised land. Lend invites us to inhabit that wilderness too, to identify areas of exile and desolation in ourselves and our communities, and to take out God's invitation to be present to him and allow him to be present to us in those places. So we might primarily associate Lent with sackcloth and sorrow, with our Ash Wednesday crosses, and confrontation at an existential level with the grief and darkness in the world. But Lent is also about preparation and invitation. In this way, it is also a season of hope and renewal, particularly as we rest safe in the knowledge that Easter Sunday is coming, and indeed is already here. Sometimes we find ourselves in a wilderness of human making, the consequence of our own decisions and missteps, or the wrongs done by others. Sometimes we find ourselves in the wilderness because it's where we've been sent or called for a time. Sometimes it's hard to know and it just feels hard. Ultimately, we can remember that God is not even a heartbeat away from us at any moment. And the wilderness can offer conditions and opportunities for connection to the unseen real that do not exist in other times and places. And this is where prayer comes into it. Theologian Ben Quash, in his book Abiding, which was the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent book of 2013, somehow a full decade ago, 
writes that the people of God are nearer to God when they are in some sort of exile. The Israelites spent 40 years in exile in the wilderness, and we are reminded in Hebrews that Jesus, having had nowhere to lay his head while he was on earth, also suffered in exile and ignominy in his death on the cross. We are invited to follow him there. Reading in Hebrews 13, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Quash suggests that as Christians, our calling is to a form of exile. In those words of Paul, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. We are aliens and strangers in the now and not yet, the in-between of the kingdom that has come and is coming. We choose by our faith to be outsiders and to live in the words of Stanley Harvest in a world we do not control as guests, not hosts. And this is the reality that Lent invites us to grapple with. I'd suggest this is a hard reality for us in the comfort of Kelvin, with our highly developed diary management skills, excellent executive functioning, and for the lucky ones, large mortgages to worry about. This is a church full of intelligent, thoughtful, faithful people. Many of us study at university or work in the public service or in policy, academia or the classroom, in business or even in church ministry. And I am sure we all want to make a contribution to help, New Ze to help make New Zealand a better place. I've no doubt the efforts of many great and good people here today are doing exactly that in a variety of ways. But I know, at least for myself, how easy it is to be subtly shaped in the process by the surrounding culture, our institutions, our colleagues, to rely on our intellect, reason, education, networks and experience, and to become dulled and distant to that deeper, more real reality, the unseen real of the kingdom and life in the spirit. Again, in the words of Harvest, as a society of unbelief, Western culture is devoid of a sense of journey, of adventure, because it lacks belief in much more than the cultivation of an ever-shrinking horizon of self-preservation and self-expression. We can participate in Bible studies, think through Christian concepts of justice and how that might play out in social policy, have robust theological or theology-adjacent discussions, exercise our gifts, and generally become highly developed in some areas of our faith all worthwhile endeavours, while still remaining spiritually underdeveloped in other areas, helpless infants. I know in the midst of various demands and deadlines, I frequently lose sight of the invitation to this deeper presence or wilder adventure. I so often neatly sidestep threats to the scaffolding I've carefully constructed to achieve some sense of order, to reach certain goals, and to insulate or distract myself from discomfort or pain or mess. During Lent, we're invited to accept that we have been sent, or that we find ourselves, in exile 
and out of control. And in exile, we are invited to draw close to God afresh. In accepting that invitation, we learn to see again. And in seeing again, we find we are not without hope. In the stripping away of distraction and false comforts, in the shedding of ego and any illusion that we are the masters of our fate and the captains of our soul, let alone the soul of anyone else, we are invited to experience a reality that is more real than our self-sufficiency or self-medication. So how do we get there and how do we stay there? This brings us to the theme of today, which is prayer. And as Tim has referred to in his setting of the theme, this idea of abiding. Prayer is described as a Lenten practice. And practice sounds so dry, implying a kind of exercise or obligation. And while discipline and perseverance can be helpful, even essential in prayer, ultimately prayer is about relationship, connecting with the source of life and love at the center of all things, the beautiful mind and heart of God, and to experience what it truly means to live and move and have our being in him moment by moment. Prayer is the means by which we experience and reorient around the unseen real that is more real than anything our eyes or ears can fully process. No doubt I'm going to say too much and not enough about prayer this morning. There are so many kinds of prayer and ways of praying and many people more qualified to talk about prayer than I am. We have prayer in our liturgy, we pray blessings over people, we intercede for those in need, we read praise and lament in the Psalms, and we see in scripture prayer used too as a kind of warfare. Brother Lawrence writes of praying as practicing the presence of God in conversation with the divine while he washes the dishes. Pilgrimage too can be a form of prayer as we journey on a quest to bring our internal and external worlds into alignment. The reading from Ephesians this morning invites us to pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. The options are unlimited. I thought I might run through a few ways we could understand prayer in a more capacious way in the present season. I'm going to speak about prayer as encounter, as abiding, and as attunement. But these are not fixed categories, they overlap and they're by no means comprehensive. But I'd encourage you, whatever you take from the message this morning, to remember that God meets us wherever we are, that he looks on us with love, and that praying as we can, whatever that looks like, will be enough. So prayer is encounter. In one sense, prayer is as simple as showing up and allowing God to show up to us. We see in our reading from Matthew that prayer isn't meant to be performative. Jesus tells us not to stand in public places and to pray knowing others are watching. Matthew also tells us that prayer isn't about babbling on or saying the right words in a sort of magic incantation or an expression of our own eloquence to win God to our cause. Instead, we're directed to turn inwards to the inner room of our home and the inner room of our hearts and to shut the door. Here, we can offer ourselves honestly, completely to God, opening the deepest parts of ourselves to him and not knowing or caring what others might think of us. We allow ourselves to be fully present and to experience God with us. 
this goes beyond words, beyond speaking and listening and the idea of prayer as conversation. We might instead think about prayer in this way as a space for encounter or simply participation in loving presence. As we pray in the words of Matthew, remove from the sight of others, open to our Father who is unseen, we are told our Father in turn sees our secret prayers. The imagery of the unseen, of seeing, being seen, is so powerful. We've touched on prayer connecting us to an unseen reality, one more real than what we see, hear, taste and smell, but a reality which sustains at the same time every atom and cell in the world around us. In prayer as encounter, we allow ourselves to be seen by God, and we in turn learn to see in fresh ways. Contemplation is a particular way of praying that makes space for this kind of encounter. The word contemplation comes from the Latin contemplatio, meaning the act of looking at, and contemplare, meaning to gaze attentively or observe, or to mark out a space for observation. It also has as a root the Latin templum, meaning a piece of consecrated ground or a building for worship of a god. There's so much to say about this, and I'm going to resist going on a tangent. But contemplative prayer, broadly, involves finding an internal and external silence and stillness and an openness beyond the senses, an emptying or quietening of the self beyond thought, feeling, emotion, <coughs> to allow space for direct experience of the divine. We are, after all, each a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we've heard God speak through the psalmist today, inviting us to this embodied way of knowing. Be still and know that I am God. As we sit quietly in the gaze of God, the noise and distraction fall away. We allow ourselves to be seen in the fullness of who we are and without hiding the deepest parts of ourselves. And in spite of our brokenness and imperfection, we come to understand that God looks on us with unconditional love. We encounter God as spirit and breath, God as brother and friend in the person of Jesus, and God as Father. Directly in the passage read to us in Matthew, we see we're invited to pray in the Lord's Prayer to our Father in heaven. And somehow, in prayer, we allow ourselves to be seen. And being seen by God, we receive our identity as dearly loved children in a new way. This prayer as encounter is relational. We meet the person that is the source of all life and love, the maker and sustainer of all things. And we are changed and transformed in the process, made holy, able to see more clearly, better prepared and equipped for the things we're called to. We see in the Bible many instances of how the wilderness can offer the conditions or the gateway to a new kind of encounter or nearness to God. John, in exile on Patmos, has a vision, an encounter that gives us the book of Revelation. Jacob, fleeing his brother Esau, who's out to kill him for stealing his blessing, encounters the divine in a desolate place between Beersheba and Haran. God meets us where we are in exile, we don't need to be sitting in church, and we don't need to scrub up in preparation. The wilderness places and our wilderness hearts are where God meets us 
and makes all things holy. So the second kind of concept that I wanted to talk about in terms of how we might think about prayer is this idea of prayer as abiding. There's a relational aspect to prayer as encounter, but this kind of concept of abiding offers an even deeper, richer image of ongoing relationship to the divine. In John 15, that familiar passage, Jesus tells us, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This invitation to abide, to remain in God, speaks of a relationship that is the very source of our spiritual life. We cannot live spiritually apart from God, just as the relationship exists between the branch and the vine. So once we've encountered God, how do we remain? How can we be continually present to this relationship, this abiding in God? The answer must be through prayer. Our life, our reality is intertwined with the life of God. The same sap flows through us and sustains us. In this way, we share together with God in the full spectrum of experience that accompanies any meaningful, loving relationship. Joy, sorrow, grief, anger, hope, pain, care, quiet companionship. And once again, in this imagery of abiding, we are reminded of our relationship to God as our Father, the one who knows our needs before we even need to ask and who understands we're children, who sustains and tends and provides. And we learn as we abide that prayer is as essential and natural as breath, and that again, in the words of that reading from Ephesians, we can pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So the third way, encounter, abiding, that I wanted to think about prayer this morning was as a kind of attunement for what Tim Mackey talks about as being paradise now. I've been thinking recently about prayer and attunement, this idea that in prayer we allow ourselves to be tuned into a different frequency. For me, like probably for many of you, this often happens when I'm in nature walking. I find space outside quiet in the internal and external noise and suddenly it's as if the bush and the birds and the wild lilies and all creation are bursting forth in praise. When we're tuned in, our senses and experiences all come into play. We taste and see that the Lord is good. And there's a sense that our imaginations, everyday conversations, interactions, relationships are somehow enlivened. The reality around us becomes really, really real. So Tim Mackey's one of our leading contemporary theological commentators. I'm sure um, many of you have heard him narrate the amazing Bible Project cartoon videos. Um, He's got a doctorate in the Hebrew Scriptures and he kind of expands on this idea of what prayer is calling it paradise now. He recently spoke at a 24-7 prayer conference, and I'd encourage you, if you haven't seen his talk, to search for it on YouTube, or I can 
give you the link after the service. But part of this, um, part of this talk, he shared his journey into prayer. Um, he described himself as a self-confessed Bible nerd and really recounted the struggle that he felt trying to engage more deeply in prayer. A feeling that he should want to do it more, that he was failing at it, the sense of disconnection, shame, resignation about this aspect of his faith. So he tells of how he started seeing a spiritual director who invited him to start every morning sitting with God in silence and just to invite God to become real to him in a way he hadn't experienced before. He followed that advice and tells us that for a long time absolutely nothing happened. But over this kind of period of time, he started praying with his sons, bringing their needs and requests before God, and soon started noticing that prayers were being answered. God was showing up in his relationships, not just in his theological study and biblical exegesis. And he shares a parable from his own experience that I think really captures this beautiful perspective on prayer. He decided, he tells us, to go off for three days of retreat and running in the wilderness of Mount Hope near Portland. So he sets off, girds himself for the run, keeps his eyes on the ground, and after some hours, in the middle of nowhere, he hears a rustling in the bushes. And he's kind of not quite sure what the rustling might be, if it's a friend or foe. Um, but he sees a woman, he tells us, crouching on the side of the path. He realised that she wasn't going to the loo, but was actually just stuffing these berries into her mouth. <laughs> and you can imagine it. This is a real story. She stands up and her teeth are stained and she's in the middle of nowhere, um, full cheeks, just saying these huckleberries are delicious. <laughs> and I feel like that's what I want to do this morning <laughs> before you. These huckleberries are delicious. And at this point, he realised that all along the path up to this point, and all along the path, the rest of the way up the mountain. He's been running alongside bushes that are just bursting with this fruit. And in that moment, he experienced a reality that had been all around him, but that he'd been missing as he focused on the path under his feet. And through the rest of that trip, he tells us he was able to taste and see the goodness of God as he munched on those huckleberries. And I think this is something for us to think about today. There's no place or moment where the eternal now is not present. We're always only a heartbeat away from seeing and eating those huckleberries. <laughs> so Mackie in his talk explores how prayer is closely linked to other concepts. The Garden of Eden, various mountaintop moments in scripture, the holiness of the temple, the idea of the city of God, all places where God is present. And he explores what paradise means in scripture and the different descriptions of where and when we find this concept of paradise, which means garden in Greek in the Bible. And ultimately, Mackie concludes that where God is with us, there is paradise, and that prayer is the means by which we connect to and live in that paradise now in the real reality, and in the presence of God, moment by moment. Prayer in this way isn't abstract or ritualistic. It means engaging with the real reality. And the most real reality is a person 
God revealed in his Son, the person who is reality, the eternal now, the perpetual present. So I'd invite you to think about um, how you might take this idea of prayer and allow God to um, open up a new way of being with him perhaps this week, whether it's sitting in silence um, and engaging in contemplation. Um, and I'd be really happy to pray with anyone after the service as well. So I'll close in prayer. Um, Lord, we come before you. Help us to be present to you. We pray you would come and meet us fresh. Thank you that in you we live and move and have our being. Help us to bear your fruit and to enjoy it. In Jesus' name.